So you're going to Matthew chapter 5. Next week, I'm going to change it up on you. We're going to say Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 5. I told you all when we started this series that this next year or however long it takes us to get through is going to be powerful. It's going to be impactful. It's going to be transformative. Um, a lot of times it's, it's exciting as a pastor when you're studying the scriptures and you're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm fired up for this, I'm fired up for that. And, and then sometimes you, know, you can kind of let people down. You're like, this next series is going to be the best one you've ever heard. Or this next series is going to be the best one you've ever heard. But I am, I am serious and I am confident that as we continue to go through the word of God, it is going to be life-changing. It's going to be transformative. Going through the scriptures, you know, we do different kinds of sermons. We do a lot of verse-by-verse teaching. It's called expository preaching is the, the technical name for it. There's also topical preaching. There's different ways to approach the scriptures. We've done both. So we did the Apostles' Creed series. That was taking something uh, that's not a verse-by-verse analysis of scripture, but we still use something to guide us. We did that through the uh, Ecstatically Married series as well. We're still going to the scriptures, but we're taking a topic and then zooming in on it. But with this, we're going verse by verse through a book of the Bible. This is good for multiple reasons. This is good because it doesn't allow a minister to skip over anything that maybe is difficult or that maybe is challenging. It doesn't allow a church to bypass something. Oh, I don't know what that means. We're moving on. Well, we still, there still may be some mystery around some passages. We still may have some questions when we're finished, but we're going to have more clarity. Also, it forces us to face doctrinal things that may not be in perfect alignment with, with our perspective. We may say, hey, uh, well, the other camp uses that, or the other denomination kind of, this is kind of their verse, so we always kind of avoid this. We don't have to be afraid of any of the scriptures. We love all of God's word. There's nothing in it to apologize for. There's nothing in it to avoid. There are only things in it to enjoy. There are rich treasures. So we come to the scriptures hungry and thirsty. And of course, as we go through the Gospel of Matthew, we've continued to see who Matthew was. And and now as he's walking us through the life of Christ, Matthew is a great historian, did a great job for us tracking all that. But the book of Matthew, we've already seen, is wildly practical. There's been much that we've seen, even in the genealogy of Jesus, we saw how, man, what does this mean for us? How is this practical for us? The same thing is going to happen today. Jesus still speaking, still going to continue to bring you clarity, bring you some very specific things. You're going to be able to apply today. Some things are going to make a difference this afternoon. Some things are going to change the way you live this week. So yes, I'm excited for this series. I'm excited for all of the scripture, of course. But I want you to have your hopes up. I want you to have your expectation high. The temptation, I think, whenever you do expository preaching is sometimes people go, okay, like there's not a new angle. There's not a new exciting pitch. You know, like this week, hey, everybody, here's the title. I don't have an incredible title for you, but we do have an incredible word of God. So you can get your hopes up there and have great expectation. We're in Matthew 5. We're going to read from verse 33, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. Jesus is still going here in the Sermon on the Mount. Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So Jesus taking the law, he's saying, you've heard that said. He says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. 
Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard it said, you, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Which is kind of funny. Matthew's got to listen to this. That's the former tax collector. Like, oof, Jesus always putting the barb in there for Matthew. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. God, this is your word. We receive it with gratitude and with humility. I ask that you would bring clarity, that you would bring wisdom, and that you would bring powerful application, that we would walk more in obedience to you, that we would not be crushed by the Sermon on the Mount, but that we would be put on top of it with clarity, with wisdom, with understanding, and with joy, so that we would see exactly who you've made us to be, that we would see that these are the good works that you have prepared for us in Christ. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll say it again. It's important to understand the context of the Sermon on the Mount. You do not read the Sermon on the Mount as a, I've got to do these things to become a Christian. But you read the Sermon on the Mount as a, a sermon where Jesus has come into you to preach, and he's saying, this is, this is how a Christian lives. This is what the way of the kingdom is like. You want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like? You want to know what the, the rule of the king is? This is what it is. This is what it looks like. By the way, I'm just bringing the fuller revelation of what was in the Old Testament. I'm not saying, you've heard the Old Testament, get rid of that stuff. I'm giving you something different. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, you've heard the Old Testament, you've heard it misapplied. I'm going to bring you the full revelation of what was always intended. I'm going to bring you the fulfillment of it all. That's what's happening here. So we understand, as we said, that the Pharisees and that the religious leaders and just the leaders of Israel for hundreds of years had put all these coats of paint on top of the beautiful raw wood of the law. It was beautiful. The Lord prepared it exactly as he intended to. But then they said, let's put a coat of paint on that. Let's put another coat of paint on that. And it's their interpretations, their limitations. Sometimes they go farther. Sometimes they don't go nearly far enough. And Jesus is saying, We're, I'm going to take all the paint off. I'm not going to chip the wood. And I'm going to show you this is the Lord's intention. This is the Lord's will again for his people. So he's been laying out. You've heard it said this way. Sometimes he will quote one of the Pharisees uh, or some poor teaching. Sometimes he quotes the law directly. But then he says, but I say, he gives the higher, he gives the best. This passage that we're looking at today is often misinterpreted. It's one of the most widely misunderstood passages of Scripture. I think for the Sermon on the Mount, for sure, but even throughout all of Scripture, been, there's been much, much misapplication. Um, some of this is simply answered by saying, again, that Jesus is using um, the tool, the literary tool, is that the right way of putting it, called hyperbole. It's exaggeration. 
It's, I'm, I'm going to an extreme to make a point, much like he did moments earlier, which probably even prompted a, a, a little bit of laughter from the audience. He's saying, hey, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. They're going, okay. But you get the point, right? The listener isn't going, does he want us to cut off our hands? They're going, okay, I see. Go, go to extreme measures to deal with your sin. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Oh, okay, well, I don't think he's actually telling us to gouge out our eyes and cut off our hands. We know that he's not. So in the same way, we have some of those things happen here. So we're going to unpack all of that together. But we're going to start with oaths, and then we're going we're to connect this passage on really retaliation and loving your enemies together as well. Because we've got three separate sections here. But again, that's just a, a, a modern, a modern uh, doing. We put our own divisions in here. Jesus was preaching it all at once. This whole sermon was preached in, a, in less than 20 minutes. He, he had the whole thing delivered. So the whole spirit of the thing came out with, whoa, this is different. I encourage you, if you haven't read this yet, read it this week. Each week, read the passage that we're coming into. But in particular, go through the Sermon on the Mount. Take your time. Read it out loud to yourself. Imagine the Lord preaching this thing. You say, that, that, that's how it would hit you. That's how it would feel. You know, you read it slow. It's not even going to take you 20 minutes. You read it fast. You know, it's going to take you just a little over 10. But we're looking at oaths. What's going on here with oaths? Oaths were used frequently at this time. And the problem beyond that is oaths were used casually. And this is still done frequently today, right? We say things like, I swear. I cross my heart. Or, God strike me dead if I'm lying. Or on my mama's grave. You know, all kinds of things that people use. The oath is supposed to guarantee that I'm telling you the truth. That's what the oath is supposed to do. Everything else I say is pretty much like, you never know if I'm lying to you or not, or if I'm actually going to make good on my word. But, but now I'm going to add this extra superlative on top of it. I'm going to put some weight on it. That's the intention. That's what I'm trying to do anyway. So at the time, it was thought that if someone would say something like, I swear to the Lord, that they would have to answer to God for their sin if they didn't follow through on that. So what the Jews had begun to do is they say, uh, let me lessen the consequences for me. I swear on Jerusalem. I swear on, you know, uh, I swear on heaven. I swear on this, these lesser things. And again, they're still missing the point. In practice, what eventually happened, they would let other oaths take hold. And they're, they're swearing by things and places. So that's why he says, don't swear by your head. Well, so another, I swear on my own head. Like, just making stuff up at this one. I swear by the chair. You know, who knows how far it would have gone. But they were allowing themselves in their own mind to have lesser consequences for just breaking their word. So there's varying degrees of truth, right, in their perspective. But that's not a thing. That's not how truth works. So Jesus is revealing God expects his commandments to be taken much more seriously and not to be used as tools for legalism or weapons for hypocrisy. So there actually is a time and a place for sacred vows, like at the wedding altar or something like that. But Jesus is teaching, he's teaching us, his disciples, that our integrity should, should be the thing that guarantees we're telling the truth. Not the extra words that we use or the things that we say, hey, I swear to you now. Hey, I've been lying to you up until now, but now I swear it to you. Our integrity is the guarantee that we're telling the truth. What's our integrity built on? It's built on the past. I've been telling you the truth in the past. Can I put weight on it? Sure, I guess I could grab you by the cheeks and look in your eyes and say, hey, I, I mean it. I always mean it, and I really mean it. 
Maybe the stakes are high in this particular moment. You need to know that you know that you know. The person who has integrity in their word doesn't need to enhance what they're saying in any way. I don't have to add anything to it if I really am a man of integrity. If you really are a woman of integrity, you don't have to add anything else. You go, she said it. Like, I didn't need her to, you know. And you might tell somebody else. Have you ever done that? You're confident in a person that you have a relationship with, and then you're speaking to someone else about it. You say, well, they said this. And, but now the third party's going, well, how do you know for sure? And you're like, they told me this. It's good. You're like, this, this third party, they don't have the confidence that you do because you've got history with this person. You've got integrity. Like, if he said it, it's, it's done. If she told me that, that's how it's going to be. Well, they told me they'd give it to me for this price, but, you know, well, you might show up there tomorrow and they change it. Like, they're not going to do that. How do you know? Well, because I know him. Like, that's all there is to it. Well, did they promise you? I didn't, oh, that makes all the difference in sales, right? They promised um, or they, they guaranteed it. Well, just saying it is sufficient. So what are we supposed to take away from this? Be known for your word. You shouldn't have different levels of truth and you shouldn't have different levels of trust. There's just truth. There's just trust. Don't use sacred or strong language casually. So you keep your word to your spouse. You keep your word to your customers. You keep your word to your kids. Ultimately, this is about keeping your word even to yourself. Keeping my word to myself. It's in the simple things. It's in the little things where I say, I go to the gym Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. That really doesn't impact anybody else too directly if I, if I don't go. But you know, you know who it chips away at a little bit? Within, his, within himself, within his own integrity. Well, you don't have to go to the gym. No, I don't have to, but the fact is I said I would. The fact is, and no, so no, I'm, not, I'm not in bondage to the gym. That's not the lesson here. The lesson is I am secured into my own word to myself. So if there's exceptions and things come up, that's no big deal. We move on. But if it's, eh, eh, I don't know if I'm going to go, like, that's, that's where you're getting in danger. And, it, and then it begins the death by a thousand cuts. Like, well, I, I don't even trust me anymore. Yeah. You know, my alarm clock goes off, but that really doesn't mean anything. I'm going to snooze it 15 times. Or, you know, I said I'm going to be there on, at, on time. But I'm not. So I, I, I lose even my own confidence in myself over time. So my yes is my yes. My no is my no. And if I'm undecided, that's fair enough too. If you're undecided, you can say you're undecided. You don't owe everybody an answer at every moment. You can simply tell people, I have to get back with you on that. So this is fine practical language. But it's important that we keep our word. There's a lot of uh, a temptation people have to please other people. But it's wild how we will even be tempted to tell people something that they just want to hear, knowing good and well we're not going to do it. This is a common thing among people where I know you're going to be disappointed if I tell you no. And I don't want to deal with that relational discomfort. So I'm actually going to tell you yes. And then at the last minute, I'm going to do some weird text message to get out of it and say, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. I'm so sorry. All because of my cowardice early on to not deal with the conflict, to not deal with the, hey, Man, I'm not going to be there. You know what? I'm, I'm just not. And, I, and say, I love you. This doesn't change anything about us, but I'm not going to be there. So Dylan wants you at the chili cook-off, right? Don't tell him you're going to be there if you're not going to be there. And if he's like, are you going to be there? If you know the answer, you can just say, hey, man, I'm not going to make it, but you'll have a good time. And he's going to say, all right, man, I love you. Have a good, have a good day anyway. Or, or he's going to hold a grudge for the rest of your life. I don't know. That's Dylan. We can sort that out. We'll, we'll put Dylan under church discipline later. 
<laughs> since he's not in the room at the moment, you leave the room, you're going to get preached about. Maybe that's the, that's the lesson here. So keep your word. Jesus says anything more than this comes from evil. Some translations say anything more than this comes from the evil one. The evil one, Satan, he's also called what? The father of lies. lies. So Jesus is saying yes is yes, no is no. And anything more than that, you're getting into variations of truth, which is not something that our Heavenly Father um, really considers. Again, can we mark the moment? That's why a wedding is so sacred. But we're not like doubling down. We're not saying, do you do this and this and this? What do they answer with? I do. Right. I do. We don't make them say, swear on your mama, swear on your daddy, swear on your head, swear on heaven. Do you or don't you? I do. Do we wait the moment? We do. Why? How? With witnesses. We, we honor it before the Lord. So there's other ways that we bring significance and value to it. But my yes is to be yes. My no is to be no. Anything more than that is getting into Satan's jurisdiction. If This is from the evil one. So there is a time and a place for sacred vows like the marriage altar. Is that making sense to you about oaths? Bring you some help around oaths. So we're not swearing. We're just telling the truth. And somebody's like, do you swear? And you can just simply go, I'm telling you the truth. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the, the honest perspective on it. I, I don't need to swear. There's no, there's no way for me to add truth to the statement I just made to you. And you can begin to change that in your own life and in your own, own heart if that's a habit that you have. Verse 38 now. Continuing, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, leave him, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. All of these verses that we've just read have their fulfillment and and full development in the following verses, verses 43 through 48. What's the point? What's the purpose? What's the... What's the lesson that Jesus is making about the kingdom? The kingdom is about loving God and loving others. The Pharisees, religious leaders, and Jews in general had said, I I need to love God. I need to love my neighbor because the law commanded that you loved your neighbor. But they stopped there. So Jesus said, the the point of love your neighbor was not literally just your next door neighbor and your Jewish brother. The point of love your neighbor was love everybody. So now we're seeing this is what's being taught. This is what's being walked out. Really, all theologians agree that this passage, verse 38 on, when he's talking about the, the, the slap on the face, the suing for your tunic, and all these other examples, this is a reference actually to retaliation. The context, it is widely believed throughout church history that the context here is not anything having to do with self-defense. But this has everything to do with retaliation and personal ego and disrespect and vendettas. So that's the context that the body of Christ at large agrees on that Jesus is talking about here. So now let's get into the law of what he's saying. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So that is literally Old Testament scripture. However, if you don't actually read all of Leviticus, which many people haven't done, if you don't actually read all of Deuteronomy, if you don't actually read all of Genesis and Exodus, if you don't read everything and see the full context there, and you just go, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that's in the Bible. Well, it is, but it doesn't mean what it sounds like at face value, because that's not the application that even the Old Testament makes 
for an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So he says, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And then he says, for example, if you strike your servant and they lose their vision, you are to release your servant. It doesn't say, now we're going to punch you in the eye until you lose your vision. If you strike your servant and they lose a tooth, you are to release your servant. It doesn't say, now we're going to grab one of your molars and, and yank on the thing. Well, why? I thought, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Well, the Lord gave the full application. And throughout the Old Testament law, it's, it's, it's shown over and over that his, his point is, with, with an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, the point was the punishment should fit the crime. The payment should match what, what had taken place. So this, was, this is not if your neighbor cuts down a tree and it falls on your fence. Now we're going to cut down a tree in your yard and make sure it falls on their fence. Is that what you would want in that circumstance? No, you would just want your neighbor to pay for your fence, right? right. Hey, hey, oh man, that's a bummer. Oh man, I'm so sorry. I'm going to pay for it. Yeah, you'll pay for it. And that's the appropriate thing that should happen. Just, they don't need to go to prison they just now if, if someone was hurt, now the stakes become much higher. But we don't kill your our neighbor. And so if the tree falls on me and I die, I'm not gonna sue him because I'm dead. But like my the family then doesn't go after them and say, you, you, you have to go to prison for the rest of your life or or we're not gonna kill you. But in the case of murder, we do kill. But again, the we is very important. Jesus is ta- is not teaching about uh, the law of the land. He's talking about personal interactions with others. So he is not removing the sword from the state. The state has been given the sword by the Lord for the punishment of evildoers. So an evildoer, it is right and just if, if the courts decide, and if they weigh and measure. You don't always have to kill somebody, but you certainly have the right in the legal system. But the Jews had made all of the the, the laws that were given to them as a nation, they had taken them and made them personal. I can fulfill this vendetta as opposed to the higher courts, as opposed to an objective third party. So now I can fulfill my personal vendetta against you, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You do this to me, I can do this for you. Hang on a second. Multiple contexts to consider here. First of all, it wasn't as literal as you're implying it to be. Second of all, this was the law of the land for rulers and judges to make decisions on. This was not the personal uh, friend-to-friend, neighbor-to-neighbor, or even friend-to-enemy interaction of, I will satisfy justice on my own. We've brought that up multiple times here in the past few weeks. Vengeance is whose? It's the Lord's. Vengeance is a thing, but it's not ours. So Jesus is addressing vengeance here. He's addressing retaliation. So he goes on to say, Do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. A slap on the face is an extreme, extremely disrespectful thing. Is it a life-threatening thing? No, it's not. Jesus is not referencing two men are duking it out. You're walking home with your wife from date night and somebody pulls a gun in the alley and he shoots your wife and you should say, shoot me as well. This is not what's being taught here. Jesus is not teaching an ultimate pacifism, right? I think, I think most of us already believe this, but I want you to understand why you should have confidence in it. So it's one thing to just kind of know that this is a self-evident truth, which is good. That's the, the natural law of the Lord in our hearts. But it's also important to understand what's going on here because some Christians have used this passage to say the Lord forbids self-defense. And there are Christians who would even go to extreme measures and even famous preacher guys who go to extreme measures and say under no circumstances is self-defense ever okay. This guy is literally on the record of saying if someone broke into my house and began to do terrible things, it, it, it's kind of funny and ironic because he says he would call the police. 
which begs the question, what do you think the police will do when they arrive? So, you know, again, it's, but the point is it's not vengeance in that moment. It is love. It is because of my great love for my wife or my children that I'm willing to take action. Not, it's not even a hatred for a particular person, but it's, it is a willingness to do violence. doesn't mean you always have to. And so when we're going back to this point that Jesus is making, a slap on the face is a sign of disrespect, more evidence that he's talking about. Um, a very unlikely scenario, also very likely hyperbole, also very likely would have even caused his disciples to laugh. So if somebody slaps you on the face, give him the other cheek to slap also. What's the point being made? Cut off your hand, gouge out your eye, let somebody slap you back and forth in the face. The point is, okay, I see the point. Y'all are so far over here, like, you've slighted me, you've dishonored me, I challenge you to a duel. We must, we must shoot one another, fight to the death now. Like, hey, how about you get your ego in check? How about you calm down? You're not the sovereign, you're not the sovereign God. You've been disrespected. It hurts, it stings. But also, you're to be like your father. You're to be perfect as your father is perfect. Is this making sense for context? Are you being persuaded? Shake your head no if you're like, I'm not buying it. I'll I'll go deeper. So the law did technically say eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But even in the application of Old Testament law, it wasn't applied that way. The point of that phrase is to make the punishment fit the crime. So this is very... um, very much now taken out of context and used to justify my own hard-heartedness against others. God's people, Israel, were always supposed to be the beacon of light in the world, but they looked just like the world in their hard hearts and their personal vendettas. And Jesus is removing this paint job that's been put on top of God's law. So Leviticus 19.18, for example, says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So you see, even in the Old Testament, again, go read Leviticus. You'll see plenty of places where the Lord addresses hard things, not just externals. But he says, hey, like we said before, don't covet. This is a command, one of the Ten Commandments. Don't, that's a heart issue that only, the Lord can, that only the Lord can see. But Jesus is making it even more plain. I am after your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, that is my law. But guys, I wasn't limiting it to your neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? That's the question that Jesus gets, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he's asked, well, who is my neighbor? They were seeking to justify themselves. How many people do I have to treat this way? How many people have to be on this list that I have to show this kind of love and devotion to? Love your neighbor like you love yourself. That sounds pretty extreme. I love myself a lot. All right, I got to do pretty good to these folks. Tell me who my neighbor is. And Jesus says, I'm glad you asked. Let me, let me tell you who your neighbor is. And then he begins to tell the story about the Jewish man walking down the road, and he sees a man bruised and bloodied on the side of the road. But he crosses, he crosses the road and keeps on walking, and they're like, ooh, that's tough. And then he says, and then another Jewish man comes. He does the same thing, and they're like, ooh, that's tough. And he says, and then a Samaritan comes, and they're like, oh. The Jews are just like, I can't believe it. They're super racist. They hate Samaritans. And they're like, oh, I bet this guy's probably going to come kill the poor guy on the side of the road. And he says, and the Samaritan goes and cares for him, picks him up, cleans up his wound. And the Jews, as they're listening, is like, no, this is the worst storytelling I've ever heard. They hate this movie right now as they're watching it. They're like, this isn't the guy. And he cares for him, loves him, shows him generosity, puts him up in, a, in a, essentially a hotel and pays for him to be cared for. And Jesus finally asks them, puts the question back on them. He says, who do you think was a neighbor to the man on the road? 
They're like, oh, I hate when you do this, Jesus. I guess the guy who showed him great love. And he says, go and do likewise. Now you know who your neighbor is. Oh, neighbors like anybody? Yeah, anybody who's in need. Anybody who you have the opportunity to serve and bless and help. Anybody who the Lord puts you there and you're going, there, it's me. I'm the one here. This is my moment. And the, and the Christian always makes that assumption. That's our default posture. We def, that's our default setting. I'm the one. He's already sent me. Is it I, Lord? It is you. It's you. You're the one he's called. You're the one he's sent. Well, I wonder if somebody else assumed that they are not. You're the light of the world, remember? You're the salt of the earth. If you don't do it, nobody's going to. So you're the one who's sent into that circumstance. You see that car broken down in the parking lot. And you're like, this is me time. You know, you see that other need that needs to be met. Whatever it may be, you go, clearly this is me. Clearly, I've got the means. I've got the opportunity. Uh, or maybe, maybe you don't have much uh, mechanical skill, so you can't help the car in the parking lot. So you just hold the flashlight. That's me. That's my jurisdiction. <laughs> but you can do something. Else. Or you say, man, I, maybe, uh, maybe I don't have a flashlight on me, but I can say, man, this is clearly a difficult situation. I can see th- these folks are having a, a difficult day. Maybe you got that extra cash in your wallet. And you're going, the Lord has blessed me, and I can bless them with it. Some way, somehow, we can bring the kingdom of God near everybody is your neighbor. And this is what Jesus is getting back to. <clears throat> this is what he's bringing their point to. So if you're disrespected, you know what? You, you can survive. You can make it through. This slap, for example, this is not a, a life and death thing. This is likely a verbal insult. Like, you're such a this. And instead of defending, or instead of even worse, retaliating, I can say, what would that look like to take the slap and then offer the other cheek? You're such a this. You go, I'm far worse than you think. But for the grace of God, through the blood of Jesus, he has made me his child. And I've got a lot of growing to do. That's, that's what it looks like. What have you just done to your enemy? You have absorbed. You have just swallowed up death with love. You have swallowed up death with life. You swallowed up hatred with love. Instead of, I'm going to defend. I'm going to get back. Turn the other cheek. And you can say, hey, I'm really sorry about this circumstance. A soft answer turns away wrath. Well, they dishonored me. They disrespected me. I know. I know. It's it's rough. No one has ever suffered like you're suffering right now. No one ever. I mean, it's like they may as well just put you on the cross, right, and hung you up there naked. That's how badly they've treated you, isn't it? No, but when we remember this, we go, okay, if the Lord of glory can humble himself, I think I can withstand a little bit more. Matthew Henry's commentary on this verse is helpful. He says, suffer any injury that can be borne or that can be endured. So he's saying, if you can endure it, you endure it. What if you can't? Then you don't. So again, like this is not a bad guy breaking in in the middle of the night. That's a real short conversation. That, there's not much that's going to happen there. There's not much dialogue. Hey, what are you interested in? Um, not much has to happen there. I think we already know that. But this is, again, with, with personal, relational things going on. Suffer any injury that can be borne for the sake of peace. Committing your concerns to the Lord's keeping. And the sum of all is that Christians must avoid disputing and striving. If any say flesh and blood cannot pass by such an affront, let them remember that flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. 
and those who act upon right principles will have most peace and comfort. So you're saying, man, this is difficult on the flesh. Exactly. Jesus told us, you've got to crucify your flesh. And if we're not willing to pick up our cross and follow him, then we're not, we're not worthy to be his disciple. So this isn't, he's, he never does a bait and switch on us. He was always point blank honest the whole time. This is super difficult. Welcome to Christianity. It's almost like you have to be a new person. Welcome to the point. So this is simply a command to forego retaliation for personal offenses. The Christian does not need to avenge his own honor any longer. You ever been gossiped about? Oh, they said that about me? Well, I bet you that. I bet nobody knows. Stop. Stop. Don't say it. Well, it's true, but don't say it. Don't say it. Turn the other cheek and go, are they really saying that about me? Yeah, okay. Well, Jesus also told me what to do. I need to reach out to them. And I need to seek peace with them. Well, I didn't, I didn't do anything wrong. Why should I have to do that? Jesus didn't say that you did anything wrong. He said if they have anything against you, you should seek to live at peace with everyone to, to the degree that you're able. Well, I tried and they wouldn't. Well, then you did what you could. Right. Did you do it with the right heart or with the right spirit? No, nope. then you should do it with the right heart and the right spirit. And then you know you've actually done what you could. The Lord is measuring. The Lord weighs the heart. Nobody else does. Oh, I can judge as the outside. Now, the outside typically is going to tell me quite a bit. You know, it don't, it don't mean nothing. I get, some, I get some information from looking at the outside, but the Lord sees all the hidden things in my heart. So I might satisfy you with my actions, but I really want to satisfy the Lord because I love him. And that's the heart of love that Jesus keeps coming back to. It's loving God. It's loving our enemies. We're not cowards. We're not fearful. This has to be done from a place of strength. Jesus would apply this teaching about the slap in the face. He would literally apply this to his trial. He gets slapped in the face and he turns the other cheek. He has his beard ripped out. He's being punched in the middle of his trial. He's being mocked. I mean, it's a complete sham. It's all false. None of it's real. But Jesus, for his very purpose, he has a very distinct purpose to actually come and receive the full wrath of the Father and to receive the full insult of humanity. The king of glory, if the king of glory can take an, a literal slap in the face and remain silent before his accusers, and even then, he doesn't just say, I deserved it, right? He says, uh, I've done many good things, for which do you strike me? So even still, he's prompting their own heart. Even still, he's saying, what have I done to, to, to deserve the strike? He didn't retaliate. He didn't say, how dare you? He didn't say, you don't know who I am and what I'm capable of. He said, oh, how do you even justify what you've just done? That soft answer, turning away wrath, it, it, it perplexes a person's own heart. This is a, it's a, a way to even flank your enemy instead of going at a direct approach or an argumentative approach. We know self-defense has a good and appropriate place um, this is even evidence, and we'll get to this later in, in Matthew, but Jesus tells his disciple to, disciples to buy a sword, uh, or in specifically in Luke twenty two thirty six. And just so you know, swords were not used to slice bread and to spread butter. Swords were used for a particular purpose. And then self-defense was the actual context there, because they said, Lord, we have two swords. And he says, okay, that's enough, we're fine. But offenses, a bruised ego, disrespect, and dishonor is what Jesus is directly pointing out. And by the way, that's where most physical altercations come from. Yeah. Most physical issues are not the 2 a.m. break-in 
It's not the bad guy seeking to do all the evil things. Those people exist and they have to be dealt with in self-defense. It's very important to understand that. Uh, But this is not where most physical altercations come from. Most physical altercations come from a bruised ego that then leads to the physical interaction. I am so deeply offended. I can't believe you said that. Oh, I said it. Oh, you did, huh? Oh, yeah, I did. And now the distance closes. Now we're face-to-face. Now we do the practice shove back and forth, and we see who's going to swing first. I had to defend myself and kill him. No, you didn't. About seven minutes ago, you could have actually uh, had a soft answer that turned away wrath. Well, then everyone would have thought, aha, (laughs) the truth is revealed, the ego. Everyone would have thought, instead of your father in heaven thinking, instead of being... Because what requires more strength? What do you think Christ would require of a man, of a woman? The easier thing or the more difficult thing? He requires the more difficult thing. And the more difficult thing is to actually be humbled. I've been humbled in front of everyone. They had the perfect takedown. They slept verbally. They nailed me. They won. They won that exchange. Like they, they totally owned me. And they filmed it and it's going to be on YouTube now. What requires more restraint? What requires more strength? To actually be quiet and move on? Or to, to begin to retaliate? Man, I've got to get the upper hand now. I've got to say, I know you are, but what am I? We're called to a higher thing that actually, I actually have love for this person. I actually care about them. I actually have a compassion and a, and a desire for them to love the Lord, to know the Lord, and to walk with the Lord. So much so that if you're in prison for the cause of following Christ... The, the Lord might even open the doors of the prison and you'll love your jailer so much that when he panics and he's getting ready to c- commit suicide because he's going to be killed anyway for losing prisoners, he's getting ready to kill himself. You say, stop, stop. We haven't left. The Lord opened the cell doors, but, but we haven't left. That's what love does to its enemies. Instead of, oh, Lord, kill our jailer, make the keys fall down over here so we can get out of here. Instead, the, Lord's, the Lord opens the doors. It's quite a test, isn't it? The Lord opens the doors and they're going, because they were praising the Lord. They were praying in the night. And then, of course, the jailer and his whole household get saved and baptized that very night. Why? We're thinking about something bigger. We think, we're thinking about something much, much bigger than ourselves. We're thinking about the Lord and his kingdom. This is the message of the king. He's showing us what his kingdom really looks like. So even our self-defense... I'll just come back to that point. Even our self-defense is not supposed to be retaliation. We're not excited about hurting someone. We're only willing and able if necessary. So as disciples of Jesus, what we can absorb in love, we should absorb in love. What we can absorb, we should absorb. This is not, this is not a free-for-all. So even though I've given you the green light, and because I believe the Lord gives the green light on self-defense, this does not mean we're quick It's not eagerness. It's not, I wish. But everything we do when we show restraint is always to be done from a place of strength, not from a place of weakness, not from a place of fear. So even when we show restraint, it's not because I'm scared. That's just a weak man doing weak man stuff, right? And that's what we don't want to be seen as. That's our concerns. I think that, but they're going to think I'm a coward. And the Lord says, I want you to be strong enough to not care what they think. Because you're actually being cowardly by caring what they think. I know you're not a coward of the thing, but you are a coward in that you're worried about them and their perspective of you. So what we do is from a place of strength. It is Christian strength. 
It is not weakness. Well, people think this, and people think that, and they're wrong. People think this about Christians. People think that about Christians, and we let them be wrong. What we do is from a place of strength and from honor and from love. It is not from fear. This is shown perfectly in the, in the example Jesus gives <clears throat> about the extra mile. Just to throw out another point here about hyperbole, Jesus saying if somebody sues you to take your cloak and your, let them have your tunic as well, if you did that at this time, you would literally be naked. So again, also very probably a comical thing. He's saying the point is we're quick to make peace. We're quick to make amends. We're not egotistical. We're not guarded about our own honor. But he's not saying, hey, I want you all, my disciples will walk around naked. If someone asks to borrow something, like there's a limit to that, right? Yeah, I would think even the, the person, if they wanted to take this literally, say it was not hyperbole, and say, okay, I would just ask him, hey, man, can I borrow your phone and for like a month? Can I borrow your house? Can I borrow your car? I bet that guy gets off that train at some point, don't you think? Like, no, 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 I thought, but if it's literal, exact, and you're not supposed to refuse anyone who asks to borrow something, then I, I just get to keep asking, you just keep saying yes, as long as it's not sinful. I can't borrow your wife. But I can borrow your house because Jesus said, right? Well, Jesus did say, just like eye for an eye says, tooth for a tooth says, but what does the word teach? What does the word reveal? So I don't want to confuse you because very often your pastor stands in front of you and says, it's right here. It's in the book. It is written. But, I, but always challenge me and always pay attention and always notice. I always do that when it's explicitly plain. So, for example, in our Ecstatically Married series, when I was emphasizing headship and submission or the roles of men and women, I was doing it, but I wasn't doing it in one spot. I was saying, we've got seven places here in the New Covenant that all make this very explicitly plain, right? I wasn't just going like, I found one verse and I like it, so that settles it. I was going, no, what does the Word teach? What does the Word reveal? And we're doing the same thing here. So, wait, can I just read the Bible? Isn't it safe? Isn't it good? Yes, the Word of God is safe. It is good for you to pick up, read, and apply. And yet, there are times where you go, if this seems wild and impossible to obey, difficult is one thing, impossible to obey. Everyone who asks of me, I give to them. So I'll I'll run out of things to give within like 24 hours. If you you become that person, get known as that. Can I have your house? Yeah. Can I have your clothes? Yeah. Can I have your underwear? Yeah. There's no limit. Because, I mean, I'm just, let's just read the Bible, right? So clearly, that is a... uh, What's the uh, ad reductio? Somebody got the Latin for me? <laughs> hey? It's, the, uh, it's where you take an argument and, and you take it to its... You run it out. You, no. You run, you, you, run all the, you run all the possibilities like I just did for you. Can I borrow your phone? Can I borrow your house? Can I borrow your clothes? Can I borrow your underwear? Can I borrow... Oh, you still have... Can I borrow your watch? Can I borrow, I'm just borrowing it. But can I borrow it? You have to tell me Yes. So we, show the, we see the absurdity of it there, and it reveals the hyperbole where Jesus is going, hey, we're a generous people. But this, this is made plain even more so when he's, uh, this point about we do these things from strength, not from a place of weakness, when he's talking about going the extra mile. That's a figure of speech that's, that lives in our culture now, right? You know, man, I love, they, they did a great job for us working on the yard or working on the house. They really went the extra mile. That means they, there was the thing that was expected and required. The, the contract said that, which, by the way, legal contracts also okay to use. Um, the, legal, the contract required this, but they, they went beyond that. They went the extra mile. So at this time, again, remember the Romans are ruling over the Jews. 
letting them have their little Jew world. The Romans are like, that's fine. We'll, we'll conquer everybody. We'll, we'll, we'll still kind of let them have their religions and do their things. But a Roman soldier could come across you on the road and he'd say, hey, you have to carry my armor. Uh, you have to carry my stuff for a mile. They didn't use a mile, but the translator said it's roughly a mile was the distance um, that you had to go. Eight stadia, for those of you who care, is about the distance that you had to go legally with a Roman soldier. Or they could make you carry a message. So you say, hey, you got to carry this message for me. you got to run this message for about a mile. And then you have to find another runner and carry the message and make sure it gets to so-and-so at this office or whoever, wherever. <clears throat> You're legally required to do that. So I'm legally required to go one mile with you. And the Jews hated this, by the way. They hate the Romans. They hate their oppression. You're minding your own business. you got your things to do. you got your life to live. And a Roman soldier goes, hey. And you're like, oh, man, I wish this guy would just drop dead. Yeah, what's up? Come here, Jew. Come carry my stuff for me. You're like, I have to. I, I am required to. I've got to carry his stuff for him. And now, like, I, I'm like, I know exactly how many steps I have to take. I'm take the last step. I'm like, drop his junk on the ground, you know, and move on. What has just happened? He has extracted something from me, hasn't he? He's extract. He required it of me, and he extracted it from me. But what happens if we get to the mile mark, and the, and the soldier turns to me, and, and I keep on walking and say, I got this. I just turned the corner, didn't I? He has gone from extracting something from me. He can't take anything from me now. Now, he might say, give me my gear, and I'd say, yes, sir. But I've already won. I've already poured hot holes on my enemy's head because he thought he could force me to do something like, you didn't force me to do anything. Why? Because I'm a free man. And I proved it. Because I'm free in Christ. I'm freely loved by my father, so you can put me in a prison cell. You can make me carry your gear. I'll always be a free man because of Jesus. And there's nothing you can do. You can insult me. You can mock me. The whole room can laugh at me, and I'm still a free man because I'm secure in Christ, because I'm loved by Christ. So you might have intended to emasculate me in front of my wife and kids, making me carry your stuff or talking down to me like that. I'm a free man. Because Christ loves me. Because I know who I am in Him. And the kingdom of heaven is different. And I can actually love you even as my enemy. I can have compassion for you. I can pity you. I can walk with you. And on that second mile, the Roman soldier might start to go, this has never happened before. And maybe he mocks me even more. Hey guys, look at this stupid Jew carrying my stuff an extra mile. But more than likely, he's going to go, what are you doing? You know you don't have to do that. Why are you going farther? I'll say because... I care about you, and I want to bring you some relief today. you got to carry this all the time. I've only got to carry it for a little bit. And now I've got the opportunity to share more of the love of God, which was always the point of Israel. Israel was supposed to be the light of the world. The, The whole world was supposed to look at Israel and go, wow, sign us up for that. And now the church is the are the people, Jesus' people on Jesus' mission, who the world should be able to look in and go, Are you kidding me? The church should be able to look into our marriages and go, that's Christ in the church? Sign me up for that. They ought to be able to look into the body of Christ and go, that's the kingdom of God? Sign me up for that. Yes, please. There's nothing in that to go, no thanks. It's only things to go, wow, are you kidding? That's amazing. So I was required to go one mile with you. It was extracted from me, but I'm actually going to give you out of my overflow because I have much to spare. So that happens on the job site. The contract requires you to do something, but now you can do more. You go beyond the letter of the legal documents. 
Why? Because the law of God is written on my heart, which is actually to love him and to love, him, to love others. And of course, you know, I didn't spend much time there, so we'll, we'll read it as we close. But verses 38 through 42 are explained in verse 44. Verse 44, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I'll, I'll read this whole passage, verse 43 on. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends the rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Another moment where the Sermon on the Mount crushes you. Oh, I just have to be perfect. Easy. Why didn't you say so? You know, you could have saved yourself the whole sermon. Who makes us perfect? Jesus does. We get his perfect righteousness. But we do have a, a literal direct application here as he's tying up this point. He's going, he's talking about greeting. So you would never greet your enemy in the street. You'd be like, Ugh. give him the side eye maybe. But you wouldn't say, hey, good morning, how are you? And Jesus is saying, well, everybody greets the people that they love. The kingdom people do it differently. We're actually cultivating the love of God in our hearts. It's been shed abroad already in our hearts. So now I actually have something to spare. Man, I don't like that person. It doesn't mean you have to want to spend the weekend with them. It doesn't mean you invite them onto your vacation. But it means you actually want God's best for them now. So even Christians, we have enemies, by the way. You will have enemies. You'll continue to have enemies. There will never not be a time in your life where you don't have enemies. So don't misunderstand. But you actually want God's best for that person now. Because you love them. Well, I'm not there. That just means you have been praying for them. Because if you begin to pray for a person, you cannot maintain hatred in your heart for them. It is a miracle and a gift of God that he makes sure is an impossibility. So whenever you got that eh in your heart, begin to pray for them. And I don't mean just, <laughs> just Lord, I just ask that you would judge them and find them, you know, find them lacking in your scales in Jesus' name. <clears throat> but actually pray for their good. Pray for their salvation. Pray for their growth. Because this is who you are. You are like your father now. Because you've been made like the Son. Amen? God, thank you so much for changing us and making us different from this perspective of bondage where I am always being extracted from outside of Christ. Everything's a demand. Everything is a burden. But in Christ, I put on His yoke and I wear His burden. And it's easy. And it's light. I'm actually able to carry it. And He makes all of life lighter as well. All the attacks that come, they can fall off now. Anything that, would, anything that would try and attach it to, to us, it just rolls off of us. Yes. Just like water off of a duck. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And we're sent to minister to the world as salt that preserves, as light that reveals. Fill us with strength to carry out this high calling of being perfect as our Father is perfect. I pray, Lord, that as your word was preached today, that it would be lodged deep in our hearts and that you would make quick adjustments to us today. I pray for your saints right now and all those listening. 
the temptation to dismiss and go, yep, I learned more and I know more. But instead to say, well, what would you have me change? What would you have me adjust? Am I, am I quick with my oaths? Am I quick-tempered with those who irritate or disrespect or offend me? Do I love my enemies? Show me the adjustments to make that glorify your name and that make the kingdom actually come on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for it all in Jesus' name. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you great peace in Jesus' name. Amen.